The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. So if you're new, welcome. This is, this is a chapel family day. It's, it's a week where I told the staff on Tuesday, I said, I, I'm not going to do the sex series season this week because um, I just needed something else for what I've been processing. So if you're not on the email list, you didn't know. Or if you're not on Facebook, you didn't know. And you're just stepping in like, okay, it, it's, it's not normal to just look at somebody and have them do an announcement on the fly. I just kept humming and staring at him because I knew it was in him. And I don't know who I'm going to hum at next service because um, it was your idea. You bugged me to do this. And if you don't show up next service, then Jesus will withdraw some blessing from you. Um, I think that's the, uh, that's just a short version. Uh, there's not a, a text, one particular text today, but I did list a bunch of them. If you are, if you have your bulletins on the back end of your sermon notes, you'll see a list of texts. And uh, this morning I wanted to talk about how to find hope in hopeless times, how to find hope in hopeless times. And I'll pray and then we'll, we'll just jump into a lot of those texts in the back because we're, we're always a Bible-driven church, always a Word-centered church. We want to bring everything under the authority of Jesus and his words for us, which is why um, I went on a journey this week. Uh, once again, a journey I've taken many times and it's never uh, any less painful. So we'll pray and we'll get in. Uh, Father, I love, I love the way... Sunday mornings feel like this morning, Lord, when I, when I just look at a brother and he gets up and does an announcement, when I get to watch another brother um, share just a glimpse of what he's been doing with his, with his wife on the mission field across this country, and Lord, to know the things that you're calling all of us here to do, it's, it's remarkable to me, Lord. When I wrote that message this week, God, I was I just sort of stood in awe of you and the things that you've raised up here. And Lord, I, I know for me, um, I needed you so desperately this week um, to lift me up, to encourage those who are hurting right now, to, to help guide those who feel like the darkness has no end to see the light. So I pray that you would do that this morning. Lord, we pray for the Rivas family uh, who lost a husband. We pray for the Sheets family and that church who lost their pastor. Lord, they need hope this morning. And unless we think that it's only them, Lord, we, even those of us in here with life stable as we know it, we need greater pictures and visions of hope than we could have ever possibly known or imagined. So give it to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Monday... I got news that a, a pastoral acquaintance of mine had taken his own life. Uh, young kids, PTSD, was in the military and um, leaves behind a, a church family and young children reeling. Uh, then that night I was walking around my neighborhood praying for my neighbors, which is something we should all do. Just walk and pray for your neighbors. And I was praying for a lot of the neighbors who I know. And one of them in particular is one of my friends. And, uh, and I didn't know that that day he had already passed away of a heart attack when I got into my house because I'm trying to do these steps. I got this foolish watch and I was trying to get 10,000 steps. I literally had to walk around for about an hour and 45 minutes because I was that lazy on Monday. And, um, and I got home, hopped on Facebook, which I rarely do nowadays that late at night. And, uh, and I saw his wife said, today I lost my husband and my best friend. 
And for me, I lost a friend who would drink beer with me and talk about Jesus. He was a pastor's kid, so he gave me insight into my wife. My wife, who was a pastor's kid, I would ask Eden, I'd say, yo, man, why are you guys so jacked up? Help me understand these pastor kid things. <laughs> and uh, he was 46. No, no nothing before, just some blood pressure stuff, and then uh, passed away. So today I just want to, I want to testify, I want to preach to those of us in here, regardless of your present circumstances or crisis, regardless of your current pressures or pain, regardless of current sufferings or sorrow, regardless of difficulties that are going on in your life, of temptations, of trials, of addictions, uh, I want us to know that suffering will come to all of us. And as we look at our lives right now to ask ourselves these questions, what is the Lord teaching you about himself, which is something we should always ask, and how can this present suffering point us to his glorious grace? And, and this is the, the worst verse that everyone gives, and I give it, but I needed it this week. It's a great verse. It's a glorious verse. But when we suffer, we need to, I start here. Now, here's the thing. Don't give this verse to somebody in the darkest moment of their pain, but it's in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, how many things work together, family? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, God works all things, even the worst things together for good. Even when there is no light at the end of the tunnel, even when that there's no sleep that's coming, even when depression or anxiety or worry or fear or doubts have put a, a cloak over your vision. This is a promise in the Bible that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And if maybe you're like me, sometimes you can't see that. When you're in the midst of, of a difficult time, I know something to be true, but sometimes I can't see it or feel it. Then I remind myself of Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. As difficult as life can be, we have the promise and hope of eternal life with Jesus. The worst things that we can experience are a pale shadow in comparison with the fact that we get to dwell in the presence of a God who created us to be in relationship with him. The one for whom our soul was made. It's difficult though. It can be difficult for many. I, I was praying this week specifically for the pain for the loss. And, and I, I always remember how preachers would say, you know, the passage, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? Because it's in the Bible. It's a Bible verse. And literally, like, if you just read the context, the sting is right here for some of us right now. Maybe it's not the sting of death. Maybe it's the sting of, of a cancer phone call that you get from the doctor to get those lab results back. Maybe it's the sting from something financially just not making it, like you had one thread left and then something just chopped that thread and you feel like you're free falling. Maybe for you the sting is that child who's, who's walked away from the Lord 
and you're praying and pleading that God would bring them back and it, it pains you every morning, afternoon, and evening. We're all suffering from something. And there's this weird thing I just hate to dispel. We have this odd tendency right now in our culture to compare sufferings and victimhood as if like someone's is worse than someone else's. I need you to understand that, yes, while some suffering, man, it, you look at it and you just say, that must be terrible. Whatever your suffering is, whether you, you maybe you grew up and you were hungry and you were poor or you grew up well off, suffering is suffering. And everyone around you, everyone that's next to you, behind you, in front of you has suffered through something or is suffering through something right now. And we should not try to minimize the suffering of people we should not try to, to focus on like just giving them a balm to make them feel better for a second, but point them to the promises that we have in God. Do we believe that God works all things together for good? Yes, I believe that. Is it hard to swallow sometimes? Yeah. Is that a verse that I give to parents when they lose a child or a wife who's grieving a husband? No, I don't say that on that moment. Because usually they don't need that. They need a hug. They need a, an embrace and a prayer. That's a hard one. It's hard to believe that in the midst of the most difficult moments. But then do we really believe Romans 8.18 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Revelation 21.3-5 says this, I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. There's coming a time when there is no more death, no more cancer, no more disease, no more brokenness in relationships, no more despair leading to suicide. Here, though, we will suffer. Don't let any church or any pastor tell you that the Christian life will be easy. The Bible says the exact opposite. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. How do you have joy in the midst of suffering? You look to Christ. Why would it be good for us to have joy in the midst of suffering? Because Jesus suffered and shows us that as we walk through this world, we're leading and walking toward a place where there's no more pain, crying, death, despair, depression, anxiety. There's no more lacking. There's no more of that raging anger. There's no more of that sense of falling and not being caught. It's total, perfect relationship and security with God, our Father. So I asked myself this week, like, okay, Lord, I, I've done this before. Something happens, it's hard. I go back to your word. Lord, I, I need to understand, and I want you to speak to me. So I prayed, 
And one of the first things that God said, like, how, how do I go from hopeless to hopeful? Uh, one thing that I realized I was doing was that I was putting my problems in focus over God. Let me give you an example from a very famous psalm, Psalm 23. Some of you know, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Nobody knows it? Dang, we need to recruit more Presbyterian or Baptists or something. Amen. There's just the two of you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I was, um, I was speaking my problems, and they became bigger than God. And I'm just telling you what I was doing. You may not do this in your problems. I was doing this. And, and I thought about it and I realized why. It's like when you walk into your house or any house or this building, you rarely think about what's holding the, the house together. You ra- rarely think about it. Not many of us walk in and say, I wonder what's going on under my carpet or tile. Like, I wonder how my foundation is doing. Or I wonder how solidly built this house is. The only time you wonder how solidly built a house is, is when a hurricane is coming. Then you're like, how solidly built is this house? And you look at your trusses, and you maybe go to a friend's house. You don't think about it in your day in and day out unless there's a leak. Unless all of a sudden you notice one of your walls is cracking. And then you say, something might be wrong with the foundation, with the walls, with the building. And I, what I was doing with my problems is that I, I know, I know that my house is probably built to the standards of most of our houses, right? Every 10 years, the stucco is going to crack somewhere. The foundation's a little rickety. If you look at the chapel lobby, literally there's a crack that goes from that door to the other door. And you can see the crack in the tile. I know it, I see it. But with my problems, I was, I was taking for granted how strong and how foundational God's plans and promises are. Because I know them in my brain. But I wasn't believing them in my heart. I, wasn't, I was taking it for granted. I was saying, yeah, of course you're my God. But I wasn't starting there. I was, I said, man, what is going on, Lord? Why would, you, why would he have to die? Why would he have to die? Why would these people have so much despair that I met with this week? Why, Lord, is this going on? And I realized what I was doing was I was taking for granted this foundation that God had built. And I was believing that my problems or the problems of these families or the problems of these churches or the problems of the, at the chapel, that they were big. So I flipped it. And I reminded myself, I reminded myself because I, I have this theory and you can use this in marital arguments or arguments with other people. Um, B-U-T, the word but. If you're saying in a sentence, it means forget everything I just said and listen to what I'm about to say. So I was framing it like this, God, you are my shepherd, but Lord, why this problem? But Lord, you let this person pass away, but Lord, why didn't they reach out? But Lord, and I was, but means forget everything I just said. We do it all the time in our, in our regular conversations. If you listen to somebody who's like going to get you in a word trap, they'll say, I really appreciate all you've been doing, but that's, see that feeling you just felt? That's what I was doing with my problems and God, I was flipping them. I was saying, God, I know that you're good. I know that you work all things together for good. But Lord, how? And then I just decided, I'm going to flip it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put God at the other side of the butt. This problem is terrible. But God, you're my shepherd. 
forget that that problem is terrible and remind yourself that God is in charge, that God will care for you, that God is working things together for good, even when we can't see them, that God is worth far more. And the glory that we have awaiting us is far greater than the sufferings that we are going through right now. So I flipped it, and now I'm like, okay, if but is an eraser word, I'm going to put God at the, the good end of that every time. Lord, I, I don't know how we're going to make this financially, but I know you're the provider. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this disease, but Lord, you're the healer. But, forget this, strike through. Yes, it's there. Yes, it hurts. But, but, God, you are greater. You are the healer. You are the provider. You are the Jehovah who reigns over all of, all, all of history, all of this universe. There's not a speck of dust floating around over which you're not aware there's not a bird on a branch that God doesn't say, I see that bird, I see that bird, I see that bird, I see that bird. When I pulled up to the chapel this morning, there was a buzzard on the light post. And I got one of those, you know, old school, like, oh, the buzzards are a sign of death. I'm going to go get a rock and try to kill it. And um, I didn't because I was like, God, God's watching that bird. But, and I know, like, I'm not, this is not a knock against hunting. If you're going to go hunt, please do so. And please bring me half of the backstrap as tithe payment. Just wrapping bacon. I'm just saying that I was going to kill it for no reason, no good reason to try to scare it away because I'm, I'm not going to kill it. I wasn't a baseball player. But then God was like, that's my bird. In, in that passage, he says, I, I care about you far more than the birds. There's not a bird that falls off a branch outside of my care. And how much more valuable, how much more worthy are you, my children, who I made in my image? So you're going to flip the script. Put, put God as supreme over your problems. Don't let your problems become so central to the focus of your mind and your eyes that you forget the promises of God. Put God first in all of your things. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. I was talking with a brother right before service, and... Um, Whenever I get in these funky moods, uh, there's a few things it usually means. One is, is that I haven't been hanging out in cemeteries enough because that's where I go to calibrate my brain to say, this is a vapor and we're going to be with Christ or with or not forever at some point. Every person in that. And I, I was driving in this morning and I drove the back way because they reopened Dorman and I like going in the country roads and because um, it's just nice light coming through the trees. But if I get inside my own head for too long and I see people, and it could happen at any time. It, it could be driving on the freeway. It could be at Disney. It could be at a restaurant. All of a sudden, I just get burdened for people that are going to be apart from God forever. And it's not, it's not this hopelessness. It's just that, Lord... Our world has given us a million things to seek first that aren't you. And it's not about, well, are you at church building every time it's open? No, it's, it's when you wake up in the morning, you're saying, Lord, I'm going to blow it 17 times today at least. But you are my number one. And I will first come to you. I will first seek after you. I will first believe in you. I will first connect and talk to you. I will first be with you and lay all of my problems on, on the foot of your throne and cross because I don't know what to do. If you flip the script, make sure that God is the primary light 
that is shining. Let God's promises shine brighter than the problems in your life. Why? Because God is supreme over all, over every moment, over every physical thing. I, I think about, you know, God is not caught off surprise. He's not caught off guard. And just to, to be able to, like, move my hand, this is where I was. This is how dark my week was. I was thinking, Lord, you gave me a brain and then muscles and a skeleton and tendons, and you know how it all works. And at any moment, any one of my body parts could stop working. I could just no longer have a, an arm, no longer have an eye or two eyes or two ears. But God in his infinite sovereign wisdom has, is with each one of us more closely than you can imagine. Psalm 56 says that he's gathering up, in the New Living Translation, he's gathering up our tears in a bottle. That's not a, he's not literally, I don't think, sending angels. He's saying, this is how close I am to you. In your darkest, most desperate moments, I'm this close. I'm, I'm bottling up your tears. I don't want you to try to hide your tears from me. There's no request that's too small or too meaningless for me to want to answer you because I'm your dad. But we often forget that he's, he's supreme overall, and he doesn't exhaust. You can't tire him out. You can't bug him too much. These are just things that the Bible says. Pray and bug God until he answers you. Or until he tells you no, until he tells you yes, or maybe he leaves you hanging because sometimes we need to grow in our faith and trust. And that leads us to the next thing. After you put God first, make sure you pray without ceasing. For those of you who have never memorized a Bible verse, people have said, it's too hard for me to memorize a Bible verse. Can everyone say pray without ceasing? That's literally an entire Bible verse. You're welcome. I don't know. I can't memorize the longer ones. Let's try another one. Jesus wept. You're welcome again. You guys are two for two. If you can remember, pray without ceasing, and Jesus wept. Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. When you're in distress, cry out. It's odd to me that God's always listening. It's just... Because as a dad, I don't do that with my kids. There's a gift you get as a parent. It's a gift of turning off your ability to listen. And I don't know if all parents get this. It might just be a husband gift. You just turn down the request of your children. Beep, 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 beep. And your kids can talk to you. And you can just nod. But you ain't there. Some of you guys have this gift with your spouses. Lord, help you. God is not ever turning down volume to his kids. There are prayers that, that the Bible says God won't hear. God says, don't, don't be doing all these religious things if you're not going to care for the poor, if you're not going to let justice and mercy roll down. If you're doing those, all these religious things, but you're not having the heart that I put into my people, then I'm going to do this. No. But if you're pressing into God, if you are in distress, you say, Lord, I don't know what to do in any situation. And if you're seeking first, God, if you're throwing yourself on the mercies of Christ, your father is a loving father. And he tilts his ear and says, I, I'm here. I want to hear from you. You may think that what you're going to say, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Here's the thing. God can listen to the prayers of somebody getting martyred in the Sudan, and he can listen to the prayers of someone struggling financially in Fishhawk. And he's not disinterested. 
He's like saying, well, hold on one second. I've got to help this kid and not that kid. Because God is bigger than we are. We can only help a couple kids at the same time. I'll never forget when I was at Disney and I had Savannah in the stroller. And Jackson and Silas were still young and disobedient. Now they're just middle-aged and disobedient. They both ran. One that way. One that way. And Amy wasn't there. I had a stroller and two departing children. And I thought, which one do I love more? <laughs> this one or this one? Since Jackson is in here alone, it was you I love more. <laughs> if Silas is here next service, I'll tell him that. And then I'll plead for forgiveness. I, I just didn't know what to do. And that's when I stopped, A, judging parents who leash their children, and B, um, I realized something. I am finite, and when they grow older, they're going to continue to come for my money. And I tell them, I'm a pastor, you're coming for nothing. But they're going to, Dad, I need money. Dad, can you buy me this? I'm finite. I can say, you can have 10 bucks, but now you can't. If you run this way and you run that way, I can't chase both of you. You've only got two legs. But God is not finite. God says, I hear the plea of my children who are getting martyred, and it breaks my heart because that's their suffering. And you're like, yeah, my problem's not that big. My problem's not as big as, as my husband passing away or a child passing away or, or someone I love taking their own life. My problem's not that big. Why would God listen to me? Because he's not like you. He's not finite. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so different are God's thoughts above our thoughts. He's a different being with massive cosmic power and abilities that we don't have. If I were God and my children both ran away like this, I would just will them back to me. I would grab them with my mental brain power and levitate them back to me. We can't do that. But God is wanting to hear from you. He says he wants to hear from you when you're having that pain. When you're saying, I, my biggest problem right now, Lord, is that I just don't know how we're going to pay this next bill. But how can I talk to you about that, God? There's bigger problems. Maybe not for you right now. And God cares about that for you right now. Yes, maybe your life is okay and you have these problems that aren't comparable to others, but it's your suffering right now. Don't minimize it because God our Father doesn't minimize because pain is pain is pain and God wants to come into your pain. Not to relieve it all the time, just a fair warning, but to come into your pain to catch your tears, to come into your pain to say, this suffering, it's shaping you. It's, it's helping you to lean on me more. And I know you don't see it. I know, I know you don't see it right now, but man, you're leaning on me so much more than you did before. My friend who passed away, he's, uh, he, he had like kind of always been drawn to God as a PK. And he just started his Masters of Divinity this summer because he wanted to be a Bible professor. And I thought, Lord, that's, Why? He was like, I'm going to go teach the Bible to people. Why, Lord? His ways are not our ways. Why do some die and others live? Why do some prosper and others struggle? Some of you may have asked, like, why it was my life? It just seems to always be difficult. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you guys straight up, like, most of the time, my life is pretty good. I took this page out of a a business guy who I listen to on occasion, to keep myself cheery through the day. Right when I wake up in the morning, I just think for a second, what would I do today if everyone in my family died? That'd be a bad day. And then when they all trickle in one by one, I realize, 
They're not dead. It's a good day. And then God took me to another place. He said, no, 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 no. You're asking the wrong question. It's not what would you do if everyone died. See, the thing is, if everyone dies, you still have me. I was praying for Edwin right before service, and I had to chuckle. Because Edwin and I talk sometimes about going to be with Jesus. I talk with Jesse about it. Talk with Edwin about it. Talk with Steve about it this morning. Like, I just can't wait. Just can't wait for all this stuff to be done and gone. And when I was praying for Edwin, I kind of chuckled. Because the, the prayer that I felt like God put in my heart was, pray that Edwin lives past his 70s and is tormented with how long he's had to stay on this earth. <laughs> my gosh. It's just so mean. Will we trust the Lord, whether it's good or bad? That's the third part. First, put God first. Flip the script. Make God bigger than your problems because he is. Second is to pray without ceasing because that's what God calls us to do. And then learn to wait patiently. This is a tough one for some people in our go, go, go culture. Psalm 31, 14 to 16 says, I will trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and my persecutors. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Save me in your love that never stops. Isaiah 40, 30 to 31 says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall, shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, who wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It is hard for us as a people to wait. You put God as the biggest thing in your life and you never shut up talking to him. You keep going. You keep your mouth moving toward God. And that's prayer upward, prayer down as we read the Bible and God speaks to us. We get in community. You take your man card and you turn it in today so Derek can spreadsheet us to death. And you're like, I don't want to connect with other guys. I don't care. Because here's the deal in my heart. As a youth pastor, I watched hundreds of kids come in and out. And for whatever reason, it's, I don't know what mystical thing it is, but so many of the kids, the majority of the kids, ended up trajectory, their trajectory spiritually was whatever the dad was. I don't know why that is. I have my theories according to scripture. But there would be a, a mom who loved Jesus and a family that would come and a dad who was like, meh. And I would see these kids who are now in their 30s, and they would they'd be in the youth group, and they'd just follow whatever their dad was. It's kind of where everyone just started to go. Statistically, across the country, women are more likely to engage in churches than men. Women are more likely to get involved in microchurches, discipleship groups, coffee, whatever it is. And I get it. It's weird. I don't like hanging out with a lot of you either. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I love you. I love you. Jared's been bugging me to hang out with him again. Derek showed up at my doorstep with a chocolate shake a couple weeks ago. I left him there just sitting. Didn't know he was there. I got the text, said, sorry. Bye. You take those 2,000 calories instead of me. Did you have a shake? Oh, not that day. That's why I didn't open it. The Lord spoke to me. So there is no bacon chocolate sonic shake. But, but why don't we get together so that when you are having those dark nights of the soul, you have someone. This is We're doing this just for the men right now because... It was Derek's heart to do, and he's going to organize it, so I literally have to do nothing except for talk about it and, and participate. But women, you should do this. I don't know if you'd use the same kind of card. But do it. Get together. Because 
It's easier to wait when you have someone with wisdom that you're walking with. It's easier to pray when you have someone who, who's prayed before you. Because there are things that I have that I'm good at and there are things that I'm terrible at. And a lot of times, being in a relationship with other people who love Jesus, getting involved in a smaller community, getting involved in just discipleship or just hanging out, whatever we're calling this, like get together and just say something, can make it so that in those moments when you are having your darkest times, God will put something in their mouth that your heart needs to hear. Here's something that I'm, I tend to be okay at, just waiting. I'm not a good waiter. Like if you're around me right now this week, most, mostly for my wife and my kids, you look at me and you think, dad is broken. Even today, my, one of my kids said, dad, are you depressed? I said, I wasn't, no, I'm not depressed. I'm just angry. I can't wait for Satan to be in hell forever. I can't wait for all of these diseases, things that are breaking our bodies to be done with. I can't wait for my new body. I can't wait till I get to heaven for the big things, like no more cancer, and the little things, like I'm done counting carbs, Lord. Like seriously, just things that consume my mind. Why do I think about carbs so much every day? Oh, should I eat this? Should I not eat this? Should I do this? Should I not do that? Oh, Lord, I just want to be. Can I just sing in Christ alone and worship? Can no one around us get any pain in their life? The Bible says, no, there's going to be pain, and you're going to learn to wait, and it's going to teach you faith. Oh, child of God, wait patiently when dark thy path may be, and let thy faith trustingly on him who cares for thee. And though the clouds hang drearily upon the brow of night, yet in the morning joy will come and fix thy soul with light. The last part, if you look for hope in hopeless times, is to worship. When Job lost all that he had, this verse, I pray this for me. He had lost his children. He had lost his stuff. The only thing that God left him with was a, a wife that Job would have preferred he had taken. And Job rose up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshiped. He worshiped. That's what I want to be. If you see me with a shaved head on the ground, worshiping in the midst of the most difficult time. My wife and I take bets on who's going to die first. I'm older and I'm tall. Tall people don't last as long. That's why you don't see a bunch of people in their 80s that are my size. Maybe it's that we've all just shrunk down as tall people do. But um, I'm confident that I'm going to go be with Jesus first. Fairly confident. I'm far more reckless than she is anyway. She's indoorsy. And um, I'm like, I'm going to go. But in the event that my wife passed away first, this, you'll know. You want to know how Ryan Terona's wife has passed away? You'll see me with my head shaved, on the ground weeping, singing some ridiculous song to Jesus. That's what I want to be. And I don't know if I'm there, but I want to be there. And he said, this is his worship song. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You know that song we sing, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord? It sure is a shame they, they chopped the other parts out. Because I want to see how a 90s worship director writes that song. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. I don't know how they do that, but they robbed the Bible. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. We sing that part because it's nice. 
We sing blessed be the name of the Lord because it's nice. But I like the rawness of this. Lord, my life is toast. But I'm here to worship because you are still God. I will wait for you. I will plead to you. I will put you above all things in my life. Because even though I can't see through this murky fog of darkness, I believe and trust in your promises that you are the light, that you are the bread, that you are the hope, that you are the Savior, that you are the Redeemer, that I can throw myself upon your mercies at the end of this all because you've proven it on the cross that you love me. I don't need any more of these steps, books. I don't need any more of these sermon series about like, be happier. Like here's the, the bottom line. If you want bottom line Christianity, come to Jesus. You will suffer. Your life will stink a lot. But it's worth it because God is so much better and his love was proven on the cross. Ain't no one else gonna die for you like Jesus died for you. If someone knew all of your thoughts, they'd be like, let him die. If someone knew all of your desires, let them go. Jesus said, I know all of your black darkness, wickedness, evil bubbling up inside of you. And I'm bringing light. I'm going to take it and pay for it. And I'm going to give you my light. It's the gospel. There's nothing greater that's ever been given. If you come here and, and you're like, I'm going to do my church duties, attend and give, blah, blah, blah. And then God bless me. God has blessed you in Jesus. Every time, uh, if you got the email this week, I, I had our little financial blurb letter. We have a meeting coming up December 8th. It's a, our annual budget meeting. And uh, people say, just tell them to give more. Tell them they, they, to preach about reaping and sowing and all these principles. Here's what I'm going to do, Chapel family. I'm going to continue to be a bumbling pastor that has an impromptu announcement. And it says this, yeah, Chapel struggled on enough with finances. Ever since I've been here. If you love Jesus and you want to see these ministries continue here, then give. If you're like, ah, God hasn't called me to give, don't give. If you're like, I don't feel like giving, don't give. But if you want to pour into this family, in the things that I loved, then give. And, and the reason I give is because it helps me put God first. I put God first with my time. I put God first with my energy. I put God first with my money. I put God first with the way that I want to do ministry. Because I've drawn into this hole where my office is in my room because we have this massive bedroom. And I'm like, it's easier just to like roll over there and do my emails. But if you looked in your bulletin, you, you saw that um, I'm doing this new schedule. It's just wandering pastor. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. But I'm going to wander around with this sign. Because I'm sick of being in my office. I'm sick of only talking to Christian people, no offense. And I'm just going to sit. I'm going to go to a bar and put up that sign. I'm going to go to a coffee shop and put up that sign. And when I'm there, I'm just going to think, Lord, how can I encourage the body at the chapel? And I'm just going to start sending out things to encourage us throughout the week. So that maybe I'll say something you hate and disagree with. And when you get together with your brother, you can complain about me. Or maybe if you're like, I don't want to hang out with someone else, but I wouldn't mind hanging out with you. There's instructions where I'll be. And this week it's Thanksgiving, so I thought let's not hit it too hard. But I'll be at Park Square tomorrow evening. I'll be at Foundation Coffee a couple times this week. I'll be at the brewery next week. And I'm just going to put up this sign and wander around and be a pastor. Because there's people that are in pain. There's people that are putting other things first. There's people that are living this life thinking that the things that they're looking for that will satisfy them 
people that are saying, if I just get this job, if I just get this bill, if I just get this thing, if I just get this neighborhood, then I'll have all that I've wanted. My newsflash for you is that I've met with thousands of people, and uh, the ones who get what they want find it all to be meaningless, meaningless. So let's just be the people of God. Let's learn to wait and pray, put God in the central part of our life to do what he's called us to do. To stop piddling around, pretending that that next car, that next house is going to make us satisfied and happy. You can try if you want. If you're still there, you're like, I don't believe you, then go. I don't mean leave the chapel. Fine, go do it. Go, go pursue these other things. Because some of us need to find out by trial and error. And when you fall to the end and you're still found wanting, worship, pray, wait. When he lost all those things, he fell to the ground and worshiped. Lord, that we could be like that. Lord, I don't even know where my heart is today. I'm sure that I'm sure that some people are worried for me. Lord, let them worry for two more seconds and then cast it on you for you care for us. Because God, I love where I'm at with you right now. And Lord, I know that there are so many problems and pains and sufferings and trials and persecutions and addictions and sorrows here in this room. Lord, help us to see your promises even if it's a pinprick of light in a veil of darkness, help us, Lord. Help us to wait, to trust, to beg, to plead, to listen, and to worship. I thank you for this church family. Lord, they mean so much to me. I pray that this would be the type of family where everyone would say that, that this family means so much to them. So connect us this week, I pray. Help us to put away the veil of religiosity and the clean veneer of being good moral people. Help us to be broken, messed up people that have a, an amazing, perfect, wonderful, loving Savior. I love you. I'll talk to you later, Mike.